Hello, and welcome to the second edition of PSR, which stands for People Speaking Rail, of course, in uh, this context. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Bowden-Distel, head of intermodal solutions here at FreightWave, and joined with my colleague, Joanna Mars, senior staff reporter who focuses in on the railroad industry. Joanna, how are you today? I'm pretty good. And how are you, Mike? Doing, doing well. Yeah, nice and warm out here in Dallas. Going to go for a run oh, goodness. after we finish recording this. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's been a mild winter for the railroad industry as well. Uh, we'll see if that holds up or whether a snowstorm eventually will um, create congestion in, in places. But um, so some of the things I think we want to go over today, uh, so sort of short list here, is you went to the Transportation Research Board annual meeting. Um, I know you're going to write up some articles on that. John Kingston already has an article up on that, so we can talk through those things. And uh, there's a good article from uh, Greg Miller discussing the import trends and how we're sort of back to pre-COVID levels there. And we can talk and sort of put our heads together and talk about how uh, that's likely to impact the um, intermodal industry. And then we can also talk about rail car manufacturer Greenbrier reported earnings on Friday. Uh, that was an interesting one, I thought. I know you wrote up an article on that, closing the Gunderson facility in uh, Oregon. Um, so we can talk about those things today. Um, but first, just really wanted to, to talk to you about sort of your experience at the Transportation Resource Board annual meeting. Um, why don't you explain sort of what that is, why it's important, and uh, what you learned there? Yeah, yeah. So the Transportation Board, uh, Transportation Research Board, excuse me, I'm, I get Tier B and STB messed up, and that, you know, they're I get not messed up, confused. But uh, the Transportation Research Board, um, yes, they have an annual meeting. They've, I think last year was their 100th and 100th year anniversary. I, I could be wrong about that, but they've been meeting for a very long time. Um, regardless, uh, it's usually in January and usually in Washington, DC, or at least the recent ones have been, I don't know about the ones, you know, hundred years ago, but, um, it's, it's, actually, it's really neat. It's, uh, you have hundreds, if not thousands of transportation professionals, um, nationwide and around the world actually come to this. So you have, you know, your, your local municipalities and you have um, your state representatives from, from the, from the various uh, Department of Transportations. And then you have, um, you know, people from North America and, and, and Europe and Asia and just, just everywhere really coming together. And um, it's not just uh, rail, of course, it, um, you know, kind of the, the gamut of transportation. So you have all your different modes, you have your your public transit. I, I feel like just kind of looking at um, the various panels uh, that were um, highlighted this year, uh, a lot of the panels kind of looked at the public transit angle. So, um, mm. so you know, so you have that. Um, and then just kind of how uh, just, just you know, people who who do this every day and, and kind of looking at best practices and and research trends. Um, you also have some, you know some grad students coming in, kind of sharing their research ideas. So it's it's a neat thing. Um, and I actually I don't know if I can like fangirl on it, but I actually like going every year. And uh, mm -hmm. as a side note, they have these um, um, they have like TRB uh, like these big letters like post uh, like sitting um, uh, near 
the the entrance and people like to take you know selfies and post them on Instagram or something and and I, I always take pictures and part of me is always like oh I kind of want to stand next to the tier B uh, sign but <laughs> anyway it's it, it's 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 kind of neat to go so um, for freight rail um, specific well, okay let me backtrack a little bit for railroads um, obviously they do um, they they talk about uh, the, the researchers and, 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 and planners and engineers uh, look at all aspects of the railroads. And so, um, you know, you have, of course, a lot of U.S.-based uh, um, people talking about things, but you also have a lot of people coming in internationally as well. Um, so you can have that nice comparison between um, regions and countries and, and, and you know, uh, other parts of the country. Um, and so, and it's kind of the topics within the railroads run the gamut um, from, um, uh, from uh, you know, public transit again um, to, uh, you know, sort of operate, latest in operations research. Actually, this year's, a lot of the, the panels this year were, were um, heavily um, leading towards the research end. So you have you know, a lot of latest in operations research, safety research, um, uh, you know, looking at uh, track inspection and and um, autonomous trains, and and then you have a little bit too of the economic perspective as well. So, uh, you know, John Kingston wrote something um, the other day about uh, the shift of um, the shift in volumes to the eastern Gulf Coast ports, and then I attended a panel um, on freight rail, uh, sort of the economic um, take on things, uh, looking at. Um, the, the regulatory angle, but also, um, you know, uh, where things might be headed um, next uh, in terms of, um, well, PSR, really. Uh, that was the topic of the panel I attended. Was, well, not really the topic, so, one so of the this, topics. This Transportation Research, Research Board, I'm not all that familiar with it. So are they making recommendations to the, the federal agencies of how to regulate the various modes or, or, or what are they doing? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think it's just, it, it really is just kind of a lot of sharing of ideas of, of what has been going on within the industry um, and sort of people's takes on, you know, where what's next. Um, because, you know, keep in mind too, is that you could have people attending a session who might not really be familiar with what's going on within the industry. Um, but they, they do have, um, they're either they're interested in it or there's, you know, there's an element of, of their work that involves, um, you know, rail or, or whatever topic. And so it's not necessarily to provide solutions, but then of course that said, you know, there are, um, there are planners and 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 transportation planners and and other companies that that um, that are involved in it that kind of you know look for potential solutions as well. And actually, there are um, speakers uh, from the federal government who come in. Um, Pete Buttigieg of the the um, U.S. Department of Transportation um, secretary mm -hmm. uh, was scheduled to speak uh, Wednesday. Um, I think about electric vehicles uh, and John Gallagher. Uh, from freight waves um, attended that. So um, yeah, so there, there's a, just a lot of topics that they cover. Okay, so big, big industry conference, you go every year. Um, what were the topics of the hour in the sessions that, that you attended on the railroad industry? Yeah, yeah. So the, um, the session I attended was uh, looking at freight rail kind of from the economic and, and commercials perspective. And um, one of 
so there were uh, three or four panelists, and um, one of one of the questions of you know in the presentation was, um, you know, what's next after PSR? And of course, you know, it's it's um, it's still anyone's guess, really. So it's it's not you know it, it's not like anyone you know this is this is what will happen after you know PSR or you know whether continuation. But um, but that was a neat uh, session to attend because um, you, you had that explanation by the panelists of what PSR is and sort of what the implications have have happened over the course of the last several years, which you we've talked about and reported on here. Um, but then what's next piece uh, is interesting. Um, one of the panelists, um, he came from Deloitte, Canada and uh, specializes in sort of the uh, M&A aspect of, of things. And so he was kind of saying that like one thing that could happen is that um, you still have a lot of infrastructure investment firms interested in M&A in 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 the rail space and the transportation sector um, with the idea of you know perhaps the next thing after psr would, would, would be the creation of these um sort of i think you call them giant rail industrial hubs um you see like with mm-hmm. bnsf um their their billion dollar mm-hmm. plans to you know to create an, an intermodal or sorry a yard um in western it's US one of the high desert places. in california yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you have that um, proposed plan there, and just and and not even just um, by railroads or commercial ventures. I mean, even within, if you look at like infrastructure front funding, and you look at the grants, and you sort of see like public-private partnerships where um, you have uh, you know public governments you know, like invested in in creating these projects that have a multimodal element to them. And so, you know, he talked about the possibility of, you know, creating these, you know, these, these, these industrial rail yards, whether it's commercial or public private partnerships and, um, and sort of something happening akin to like what happened with the airline industry in the 1990s, where you have like a, like a hub and spoke model. So you have um, all this and, you know, all this activity um, happening, uh, with that rail access and then you have, you know, being able to, to, to transport goods in and out. Um, the other interesting thing, of course, with this, so you have inland ports that are kind of related to this, this potential, um, uh, venture or potential route. Um, and you, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, so you have, the, <laughs> the thought will come to me in a second, but, uh, yeah, so that was a neat thought, um, or a neat, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's one of the, the impressive things about that um, announcement last year between BNSF and JB Hunt is you're sort of you know collaborating with the two different you know carriers coming at this from a different angle. Of course, those have always worked very closely together, but that huge mm-hmm. investment—it's not just JB Hunt investing in containers; it's you know BNSF investing in the terminal infrastructure, all of those things. So it does seem like with transportation specifically, you need to have a lot of different parties coming together in order to make something happen. And so much of the congestion is tied to either certain locations or terminals, or in this case, a highway, certain interchange points um, that, that all these, these um, you know, just different constituents have to you know, come together. I also wanted to ask you on you know, one of your points here in our, in our um, sort of shared notes uh, for the show, 
you talked about the tension between the railroad uh, railroad classroom carriers and their investors, and you have the new CEOs in CN, NS, and, and, and CSX coming at it from more of a commercial and marketing you know, background. I guess that new CSX CEO was from the um, uh, the automotive uh, industry. So kind of kind of interesting that these are not sort of in the mold of Hunter Harrison, and um, maybe that's because they're trying to push to find volume growth, which is what has eluded the railroads um, in light of all the service issues, in light of all the focus on, you know, getting the, having the, the margins that are at least as good as the peers. And it does bring up this question that, that, that you ask is, um, you know, what will happen in the investment community if operating ratios, um, you know, increase and, and, their, and their margins decline? I mean, I think last year was one of the first year in a very long time the industry had operating ratios that uh, unfavorably, you know, increased because they, um, you know, took on some additional resources, and you know, the Surface Transportation Board wants them to take on even more uh, resources, so the whole network isn't shut down if there's a polar vortex or flood or or, or, or something like this. I mean, how do you see the um, you know dynamics playing out between the Class One railroads and uh, the investment community? Yeah, yeah. I it's interesting because there there's been kind of more of uh I feel like there's there's been a a focus and attention on that and and it's interesting too because you know uh CN um the, the new on one hand the the new CEO um Tracy Robinson like she's been there for over a year now. Um comes from an oil and gas background um from a shipper background. Um and she was put in there um because uh an activist investor um, uh, disagreed with how the former CN um, CEO uh, Jean-Jacques Rouet um, handled uh, the um, the uh, plans to to merger to merge with Kansas City Southern, um, and it's also interesting too because the activist investor um, I think wanted to install Jim Vina um, into the mm-hmm. CEO spot, and Jim Vina has extensive operations ex- uh, experience, mm-hmm. and so yeah, so you. And so that was something that was also brought up in the session today, or uh, Wednesday, which is um, that um, I think there is a push with, with within the industry, from what I've seen, um, in terms of trying to 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 get closer to um, I guess closer to the customer and closer to uh, perhaps um, um, tr- trying to to increase volumes and then capture. Uh, sort of, you know, reconnect in a way. Um, but then you have um, that that pressure um, on on the OR, and and uh, and you know, then you also have um, even within the investment community, you know, like like Tony Hatch, for instance. Um, you have people saying, "Well, um, can we sort of, if you're an investor, can you look at, at the longer term um, sort of uh, return versus a short term return?" Because you know the 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 lowering the the operational ratio and, and other things um, those have like the short term effects. But is there a way that you can look at railroads and invest in them um, with the eye with sort of eyeing the, the long term um, um, health of the industry and also of individual companies? Yeah, I think that's interesting for sure, and and we'll and we'll see. I mean, I think some investors take a longer term approach. I mean, you sort of have on the extreme end the you know Warren Buffett or part of the BNSF and called it a one hundred year investments. And then, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have 
you know, hedge funds or these activist funds that go in, they're kind of more renters of the shares. They push to sometimes change out management teams, change tactics, do things that are going to you know, have a better operating ratio or a better return on invested capital and um, then, then sell the, the shares at, at a higher uh, price. And they sort of will pick on the companies that have the, the worst you know, operating ratio. And, it, and I, I think it's a situation where I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the operating ratios for the industry as a whole rise again you know, this coming year as they take on some more you know, resources, um, because now I think it's getting a little bit more clear when you have an STB that is this involved and this um, you know, determined to improve you know, service and um, really understands these, these issues that um, the, the, the shippers are facing. Uh, that the railroads, in, in order to avoid uh, sort of big changes in regulations, I think it is in their best interest to resource up and um, you know you know have that have that good service. So it'll definitely be an interesting thing to watch. Um, you have a number of other topics here, so I want to want to move on. Um, you know, John Kingston wrote up a, a, a piece also from that that TRB um, you know meeting. You know, East Coast ports reaping rewards of, in, of investments. Um, you know, that's up on the site. You can, you can check that out. And it was, it was interesting as he talked about how uh, there's this, you know, of course we know about the shift from, you know, last, in the last year from the West Coast ports to the East Coast ports. He brings up the point that the, there's maybe a shortage of warehousing space on the East Coast, which is something that we've heard a lot about sort of throughout the country in the last year. But, um, you know, sort of increasingly, you know, lately there's been more, you know, data points to suggest that maybe we're overbuilding the warehousing you know, capacity. We have a sonar chart, um, logistic managers index on, on, on warehousing prices that, that shows a drop there. And I went into more in depth than this and you know, earlier in the week in the stock out show we have about uh, CPG industry. But, you know, here it's, it's like a lot of those warehousing prices have started to crack. Now, maybe it's not as true in the, in the East Coast as uh, John Kingston uh, you know, brings up in his, in his article. But there's a tremendous amount of warehousing space that's under construction. A lot of those don't have leases yet, and so it seems like those prices are, uh, you know, cracking, um, you know, there. And I think it, it brings up sort of an interesting debate about, you know, whether this shift that we've seen from the West Coast ports to the East Coast ports is that a sustainable shift. We have a sonar chart on maritime import shipments to that effect that shows. There we go. So you can see in, in this chart. For those of you, um, you know, watching the video portion, Port of LA um, in, in in white, you see that was above the ports of Long Beach and Orange and New York, um, New Jersey in uh, blue. But then, you know, you see in the last year, Port of New York, New Jersey got to be the biggest in, in imports. That's at least by shipments, which is not necessarily TEUs, but um, you know, shipments can have differing you know numbers of, of, of TEUs. But the trend was sort of there where. New York, New Jersey got to be, you know, more of an, of an importance, you know, there, there's a location where there's not a lot of excess, you know, warehousing space. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the East Coast ports have invested tremendously in, you know, capacity so they can accommodate the larger uh, vessels. And uh, interesting, also, there's more space for warehousing on the Southeast. And so if, if this is sort of a temporary shift and speed is, is more important and maybe the shift of manufacturing out of China into Southeast Asia or even sort of the northern part of Asia where it makes more sense to use the uh, Suez Canal rather than the, the Trans-Pacific, um, you know, th- those are all trends to, to keep in mind when you know, evaluating the port uh, share shifts. But if the, sh- the shift to the East Coast ports is, um, you know, permanent, I mean, that's a negative for 
intermodal because uh, most of the population lives within, you know, one day's drive of the East Coast. You sort of think about volume coming in through the West Coast as having a 65 or 70 percent chance of going rail intermodal to sort of those Midwestern consumption centers or even the Eastern consumption centers, whereas in the, the, the East Coast, maybe it's only a 20 or, or, or 25 percent chance. So I think that's something, um, you know, that could really, uh, you know, have a big uh, impact and sort of uh, gets to our earlier discussions of uh, do the railroads have a revenue for volume growth? It can't all be, um, you know, taking costs uh, out of the out of the cost structure as we get into, you know, what you're calling a post-PSR, you know, regime. I think part of that, what that post-PSR regime has to look like is, uh, you know, revenue development in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, volume uh, growth. Also have uh, uh, also a good article up on the freightwaves.com um, website, just hit uh, published by uh, Greg Miller. And Greg is talking about uh, the import volume and how that's now back to pre-pandemic levels and have a chart from Port Tracker. And so he's, he's using data from uh, the National uh, Retail Federation uh, and uh, American Ship, American Shippers, the company that um, FreightWaves acquired that, that follows the, the ocean uh, um, industry. So what you can see here is in 2020, you saw, of course, the big uh, Im- increase in imports. Those really stayed elevated uh, sort of throughout uh, 2021 and didn't start to crack until uh, really September of last year. And now we're at a situation where those uh, imports in January, roughly in line with uh, pre-pandemic levels in, uh, in, in December, looking at a couple different data sources, uh, this port tracker says imports were down 10% in December. De- Descartes said that they were um, you know, down more like 19%. Descartes you know, uses a l- larger number of, of ports. But by, by any measure, sort of these, these imports have fallen. I think we sort of understand why those are high um, their inventory levels. Consumer spending is, is, is pulling back. But this is, you know, it gets to an interesting question for intermodal volume in 2023 is, do you think the industry can see intermodal volume growth in 2023 in light of potentially at least falling imports for the first half of the year? Not clear that's going to be true at the end of 2023. But I think in the first half of 2023, um, intermodal is going to contend with falling imports. It's going to contend with a weak truckload market um, has a big impact on those lanes that are competitive and potentially, you know, lower consumer spending. So to Joanne, I want to ask you, um, do you think, are we going to have another down year in your um, estimation for intermodal volume growth? Last year was down about 5%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I I think, you know, if, if there is a down market, um, you know, will will the railroads be able to um, sort of gather gather themselves together and 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 use that time um, to 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 um, improve service? I, th- I think service is still kind of the the big question mark. Um, of course, this isn't just related to intermodal, but I think um, and this was also mentioned the TRB thing um, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, um, I've actually remembered my other point, which was that, um, so you have these facilities, uh, that want, you know, that, that want that rail access, but they also want, um, truck access, uh, because they, you know, they, they, 
while they'd like to use rail, they also want to make sure that they have that access to truck. And of course, that's, you know, not just intermodal. But um, but I think, um, you know, if, if volumes do uh, go down, like, will it be an opportunity for the rails to to sort of uh, gather and, and huddle again and, and sort of, you know, um, work on, on, continue to work on um, in service, um, especially, um, you know, with, with hiring efforts and, you know, getting that, continuing that effort? Um, or, or will it be, um, uh, you know, more of, more of the same? I think people are really looking at the service issue, um, whether it's manifest traffic or, or intermodal. Yeah, it does feel like this is a kind of a make or break year for for rail service with with so much on the STB's docket that um, they're going to look at sort of all this service data that they now require the railroads to um, publish that they never you know required uh, before and uh, you know potentially maybe this is a year where intermodal can gain market share which I think is where you were going with that with um, if if uh, there's a little bit less congestion. With, if these hiring um, practices pan out with more resources, then it does seem like this could be a year of market share gain after, um, I would say, last year and really last two years, intermodal lost market share to, to, the, to the highway. So I think that's something that we're going to be watching very closely um, you know, on this show um, and in your uh, research um, you know, throughout this year. But um, that's really all the time we have. But I want to thank you, know, you for, for, for joining me again. It's always fun uh, to do this. Um, PSR. And uh, if those people wanted to subscribe to uh, your um, newsletter on, on railroad industry, how do they do that? Yeah. So um, there's a link on the Freight Waves website. Uh, and I believe it's it's in my articles as well, um, that where you can click on the, the page for the newsletters and you can click on the, for the rail newsletter. And there are also all the newsletters that, that Freight Waves offers. So you can click on them all and just receive a bevy of information about freight transportation. That's great. And then on an upcoming show, I think we have someone from the AAR. So we'll, um, we'll ask them all the hard questions about uh, service <laughs> and whether they can grow the volume and whether the people that um, were recently hired are going to stick around <laughs> when the going gets tough. But we'll see. Um, but with that, that's all we have. And hope everyone has a, a great uh, day.